welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. And it's a safe place where we hope everyone can discover that they are enough. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Refuge. And in this week's service, Refuge celebrated seven years of ministry. So you're going to get to hear a powerful sermon by one of our founding pastors, Brian Colbertson. This is a relevant message, not only to Refuge, but it also resonates deeply with the human experience. This message is titled, I Am Enough. And Brian takes us on a journey through Psalms 139, the Garden of Eden, the desert where Jesus encountered the woman at the well, and even Barbie World. So whether you felt the weight of self-doubt, struggled with the world's expectations, or simply seek encouragement and affirmation, this message is for you. Join us as we listen to Brian's heartfelt words that remind us of our inherent value, our purpose, and the unshakable truth that we are enough. tonight with a song simply based on the verses of Psalm 139. I hope you maybe recognize that, but let me read some of that psalm to you. David writes, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything about me. You know what I'm going come into this church in particular, and you're like, man, everybody here talks about deconstruction, but I don't know. I accepted Jesus when I was five. I always believed in him. I still do. I guess I'm not as deep as the rest of these people. I'm not enough. Or maybe as a church, we sit here tonight. We look back over the last seven years, and we accomplished a lot, but we have that feeling. Man, we didn't do enough. We're not making enough of a difference. We could have done better Someone else certainly could have done better than we did. Not enough. Let me make a statement here that kind of summarizes this whole message. To be a Christian is to believe what Jesus says about you. And what does Jesus say about you? It's very simple. Three words. You are enough. Give you some example. Ephesians 2 says, you are enough because... You're my handiwork. Genesis 1 says, you are enough because I made you in my image. 1 Peter 2 says, you are enough because you are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's special possession. That's enough. Romans and John writes, you are enough because while you were yet still a sinner, I loved you so much that I sent my one and only son into the world to die for you. Do not ever think you're not enough. 
Faith can be a lot of things, and we can have some deep, intricate discussions about what it means to have faith, but at its most basic level, faith is simply accepting that you are loved, that in Christ alone, that you are enough. That's faith. The idea of not being enough is ingrained into human history and to human brokenness. You can think of a million stories about someone who feels like they're not enough, striving to be enough, and the outcome of that striving. And so tonight, I just picked three stories that can maybe illustrate this. I picked an old story, a new story, and then a Jesus story. And so let's start with the old story. About as old as you can think of, I went back to Genesis. It's a story that takes place in a tranquil garden. There's two people there, Adam and Eve, and man, they are thriving. They're made in God's image. They are walking and talking with God. They are at one with nature. They are basking in their enoughness. And yet a shadow of doubt creeps in. A voice begins to paint a picture. You're not enough. You're not like God. There are things you don't know. What is being withheld from you? And that feeling, not at them, casting that shadow of doubt over the very essence of their being. And that doubt gave birth to fear, and that fear gave birth to a yearning to be more for the knowledge they did not have. And so you know the story. They tasted the fruit, a shroud of shame enveloped them, and the illusion of inadequacy takes root in all of humanity forever. It's not the most feel-good story. It's an old story. Let me give you a new story. Modern-day Garden of Eden story called Barbie Land. <laughs> I have three daughters. Saw the movie twice out of necessity with them, and I liked it. And people have made a lot about this movie and tried to politicize and whatever. It's kind of nonsense. But it's nothing more, if you really watch it, and that's the benefit of seeing it a second time, it's nothing more than a new telling of an old story. In Barbie land, Barbie has a great day every day. Sees herself as an inspiration. She is enough. She's an inspiration to little girls and women everywhere. I mean, there is author Barbie and Dr. Barbie and President Barbie. She is doing great for the world, and every day is perfect. It's an Eden she feels like enough. And yet in the movie, and I'm not going to give too many spoilers, but a whisper of doubt comes into her paradise. Suggests that maybe there's more to life. And so she begins to question, am I enough? Is this life enough? And as the story goes, Barbie is forced out of Eden, just like in the Bible story. And she travels into the real world, which is the broken world. And she meets this tween girl that she thinks was her owner. And this girl says to her these amazing words. She says, Barbie, you've been making women feel bad about themselves since you were invented. You destroy girls' innate sense of worth. Talk about being made to feel like not enough. And so Barbie spends the rest of the movie being a human in a broken world, wrestling with all the questions that we wrestle with, with death and gender and equality and purpose and enoughness. Now, Ken's a big part of the movie, too. Probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, 
he has his own enoughness issues, and it really plays into the movie. The narrator actually says in the beginning when they're in Barbie land, she says, Barbie has a great day every day, but Ken only has a great day if Barbie looks at him. Ken's not enough unless Barbie is looking at him. And so they go together to the real world, and Ken discovers this thing called patriarchy. In the real world, people respect him as a man. They call him sir. They ask him for advice. Finally, he's like, starting to feel a little bit more like I'm enough. And so he decides to go back to Barbie land and instill patriarchy into Barbie land, which was all run by women. And he renames Barbie land the kingdom. (laughs) In the kingdom, it's a funny place. You'll have to see it. But just like in the real world, when you are constantly trying to prove that you are enough, bad results happen and there are devastating consequences. And so Barbie and her friends, they return to Barbie land to try to fix everything. And they find all these girls under the influence of Ken's new enough version of himself. And the movie crescendos into that speech. And if you've been living under a rock, that's the only way you have not heard this speech. But it's that speech that reminds us how hard it is to feel like enough, especially if you're a woman. I'll read just a brief snippet from it. She says, you have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy. But you also then have to be thin. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood. She says, I'm so tired of watching myself and every other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us, so that we feel like enough. It's a new story, but it's age-old theology because it's so ingrained in our psyche. The splendor of Eden lost, replaced by self-questioning doubts of our intrinsic worth. So we got an old story, we had a new story, but let's do a Jesus story. John chapter 4, story starts out like this. Once upon a time, in a land full of judgment and societal division, sounds familiar, lived a woman at the well. She carried with her the weight of her past. This woman didn't just think she wasn't enough. She knew it. I am not enough. So one day, Jesus had passed through her land. Land's not Eden. It's not Barbie land. This land is called Samaria says in verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw the water. So that's where we're at in the story. I'll pause for a moment here just to give some background and some insight. Samaritans were a racially mixed group of people. They were part Jewish, they were part Gentile, they were considered inferior and defied by everybody because of that fact. And so if someone told them that they are inferior because of how God made them, that's already a lot of not enough for these people to overcome. But there's more for this lady. She's coming to this well at noontime. What's it feel like in Florida at noontime? Like the sun is trying to melt off your skin. It's no different. This is a desert. It's the hottest time of the day. She comes at high noon. Why? 
because nobody else will be there. Nobody else is dumb enough to come to the well at high noon. The well, the watering hole, was just like watering holes for us today. It's a place where the women got together, yes, to get water and all those things, but also to come together and to socialize. And so we have this woman at the well who is not only a societal outcast because of her race and a cultural non-entity because she is a woman, but even within her own racial female subgroup, she's made to feel like she's not enough. That's pretty low. And so she gets the sideway glances, and she gets the judgment about her past, and she has that feeling and anxiousness of being unworthy and unloved that no one would ever accept her for who she is. And so she arrives at this well, and a stranger is already there. It's this Jewish man And so she hesitates because there's a division well known between his people and her people, and it's a male and it's a female. And so she just assumes this man's rejection, and so she kind of recoils. But Jesus breaks the silence. He says, give me a drink. The woman was surprised, it says in verse 9, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, hey, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So this woman is taken back. She's saying, you mean that someone like you is willing to engage with someone like me? And so in verse 10, Jesus replies, he says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus, he's saying, You know, me asking you for a drink, that's nothing. If you knew who I was, if you knew that I was God in the flesh, if you knew you were looking at love incarnate, that you could speak to me and you could ask me for anything, including life itself. So Samaritans were not only this racially mixed group of people, But the religion was a little wonky, too. It was a mix of various religion. It was kind of a Jewish religion, but they pulled in other aspects from other places. And so oftentimes they were considered heretics. They had their own version of Scripture, their own version of the Pentateuch. They presented history in a unique way that made their ancestors and their people look a little better in a different light. It's not even to say theirs is wrong and the other is right. But just like today, It kind of mostly doesn't matter what denomination you go to. We all generally sing the same songs. And so this church, these people, they would sing the Psalms just like everyone else. And so this woman had to know Psalm 139 because it's a hit. You have searched me and you know me. You know everything about me. And she's thinking of those lyrics. And she says, how could this man, a Jew, see a worth beyond her cultural identity? How could he offer the kind of water that would quench her thirst for something deeper, something more meaningful than temporary fixes? She thought quickly back to the words, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How precious are your thoughts about me? Could her identity be more than failures? Could God love and accept her as she is? Could she be enough? And as she processes this, she sings, such knowledge is too great for me to understand. And so as she sits there and her head spins and 
She begins to try to make some small talk with Jesus, asking just random questions about silly things. And, and he does respond to these random questions that she's asking, just kind of about some minutia of religious type stuff. He responds, but he wants to go deeper with this woman. And so verse 13, it says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water at this well will soon become thirsty again. So the lady says, okay, Captain Obvious, thanks for that. Verse 14, though, it says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a flat, fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And so verse 15, the woman says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I'll have time to come here, or I won't have to come here and get the water. It's just kind of funny when I read that. Jesus just offered this lady eternal life, like not dying, living forever with God in heaven. That was his offer. It's an extraordinary promise. But she's not grasped the brevity of that. She's like, I don't know what kind of magic water you were offering me, but if it keeps me from having to come here on a hot day to get water every day, then yeah, I think I'm all in on this magic water. And so Jesus goes next and he says, go and get your husband. Now, maybe we don't know the story, but the lady is thinking, nah, <laughs> there it is. I knew this was too good to be true. This guy is like every other guy and every other religious person I've ever met. Oh, yeah, they wear the shirts. Everyone is welcome. Come as you are. But once you get here, let me remind you over and over and over again how you are not enough. And so she replies to Jesus' question, I don't have a husband. Verse 18, Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. What's that voice in her head telling her at this moment? It's no longer that voice in her head. Now the voice is being verbalized by this stranger. And so sitting there at the well with Jesus, she feels completely and utterly exposed. But there's something different. This stranger's tone. No hint of condemnation in anything that he says. And he's got that look in his eye. And the look isn't judgment. It's not hate. It's not even pity. It's something she'd never seen before. It's the look of a father looking at his child whom he loves. And so as she processes through all of this, she's like, BTW, how the heck does he know all of this stuff about me? I've never met him before. Could this be the one from that song I've been singing all these years? And as she has those thoughts, there it is. It's a glimmer of hope. Someone had acknowledged this woman's truth it is truth. She had five husbands, not married to the current man. Someone had acknowledged that truth and not shamed her, not belittled her, and is not turning away. And so this stranger's words, they touched a raw nerve for this lady. I know that has to be a painful, raw nerve. And yet, oddly enough, as he touches that nerve, she felt free. 
and liberated, knowing not that her past or her societal labels, but that she was good enough in the eyes of this man she now perceived to be something other than just a man. She couldn't contain her excitement. Verse 19, she says, Sir, you must be a prophet. She's getting there. Verse 26, though, Jesus tells her, Yeah, I'm not a prophet. I'm the ones the prophets have been pointing to. I am the Messiah. And so her mind raced to grasp the significance of those four words. This man standing before her who spoke to her with no judgment and no condemnation. The one who made her feel like she was enough was the long-expected Christ. And man, I got to believe that is a mountaintop experience. The universe had just paused to remind this one lady that she is enough. That this day wasn't about drawing temporary satisfaction from a well, but about drawing love and life from the fountainhead of love. And she says, I am strong. I am held. I am loved. Because I am his, and I am enough. Catch what happens next, verse 27. See, they've been there alone because Jesus' disciples, they left him, went into town, went to the bars. I don't know what they did. Came back. It says they came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? This woman. As if on cue, the disciples return that voice of doubt. Her fragile armor of enoughness is yet once again under attack. But once she sees, she holds to Jesus' words. She says, I see you. Or he says, I see you. I know you. I want to engage with you. I formed and created you in your mother's womb. I stopped the cosmos to be with you right now because that's how important you are to me. And as she lives this out, her anxious heart begins to subside. And it's replaced by a renewed sense of purpose. And let's look at that purpose to end. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of that woman. When they came to see Jesus, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two more days, long enough for many more to hear this message that you are enough and believe it. Then they said to this woman, this outcast within the outcast, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard from him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. It's a cool story. Over the past seven years, I've often wondered, is the church, not just refuge, the church, capital C church, is this church still relevant? And the obvious churchy answer that we all give, yes, of course the church is relevant. God is timeless. His love is, endures forever, never goes out of style, blah, blah, blah. But I guess what I mean more so for us is what does it mean for refuge? How can we continue to make that kind of difference in people's lives and 
2017, now into 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 22, and now into 23 and, and head on to 24 and 25. And I think it's this. Humanity is bombarded more than ever by the message that you are not enough. You are inadequate in your present state. You're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not motherly enough. You're not manned enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not religious enough. You're not enough. What an incredible opportunity we have week after week to come into this place to remind people that they are enough. That Jesus sees them. That Jesus knows them that Jesus wants to engage with them, that he formed them just as they are, that he is stopping the cosmos right now to remind them every week about the living waters that he offers. So as we move into year number eight as a church, sometimes I can't even believe we've made it that long. I'm just being completely honest. But what is year number eight going to look like for refuge? I don't know. Every year has brought a whole lot of surprises. But I imagine that we'll continue to embrace the outsider. That we'll continue to listen to their stories. That we'll continue to show them that they do have innate worth while we attempt to mirror the heart of Jesus. Refuge is a safe place where every background, every struggle, and every person is made to feel enough. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I love the ripple effect of this woman's story. Somebody made to feel like she was enough, and it begins to multiply and transform, and more people begin to believe, and the news continue to spread, and individuals who felt along, alone find belonging. And families who were divided over all these issues of spirituality, they found unity. And as the story goes, even the neighboring villages, I was almost going to say churches, even the neighboring villages eventually came around because this woman learned that she was enough. What an opportunity, church, for a small little group of misfits to live this out. Refuge Church. It's not just our name, it's our mission. So just as this woman found refuge in her encounter with Jesus, we got to continue to be that place of refuge. A refuge where the weight of judgment is lifted. A refuge where the voices that say you are not enough are silenced. A refuge where we don't have to try to tie ourselves in knots just to be liked and accepted a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in coming to believe that in Christ, I am enough. Why don't you stand as we sing? Thank you for celebrating seven years of ministry with us. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet in person Saturday nights at 530. Our address is 1901 Brantley Road, Fort Myers. 
If you want to find us on social media, we are at refuge.church on Instagram and Refuge Church Fort Myers on Facebook. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening.